0: Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.Church. Every life made different. Today, we are continuing our series that we started a few weeks ago called Family Game Night. And this series is all about taking something common that you probably know, like a board game, and using that to illustrate the Word of God for us and helping us understand it better. And we've been doing that throughout this series. Two weeks ago, we did Sorry. Last week, we did the game Monopoly. And this week, we'll be doing the game Risk. And what we're doing with this series is two things. Primarily, we want to drive the truth of God, the gospel, deep into you. We want you to remember uh, what we're talking about, what the Word of God says, and so we use illustrations that we hope will help you remember that. Uh, The second thing though is when we do a series like this, we want it to be fun and we want you to invite your friends. We want you to engage the people you know and love and invite them to come experience God the same way you have. And so we want this to be a tool for you to invite your friends. And uh, so one of the things we're doing during this series is we're asking uh, you to invite your friends. Next week is the last week of the series, so bring them next week. But we want to we want to bless somebody who is who has taken advantage of that and has brought friends. So if you've brought somebody with you today that normally doesn't attend Summit, I don't want to ever embarrass anybody, but at the same time I want to recognize you and honor you. So if you brought somebody with you today that normally doesn't attend Summit Church, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high, keep it up? Yeah, Elmer, I see you. Keep your hand up, up in the balcony. Thank you. Keep your hand up. And okay, so we got a few hands. Did anybody bring two or more guests with you today? I have a feeling Elmer might win. Three or more guests? Elmer, how many people did you bring? Four. Did anybody beat four? Anybody? No? Nobody beat four? Okay. Thank you, Elmer, for bringing a bunch of people with you today. Um, he's, it was, it was your wife? She just wouldn't raise her hand. She was too embarrassed. That's okay. Uh, can, we, can we give them a round of applause and say thank you for bringing guests with you today? So just so you guys know, stop by the Info Center when we finish up here. We got a board game for you. We can, uh, you can play that all afternoon if you'd like, but, uh, but we appreciate that. But like I said, today we are starting or continuing our series called Family Game Night, and today we'll be looking at the game called Risk, and this board game Risk is uh i'm going to try to simplify it as much as i can it's a fairly complicated game a lot of different rules and strategies and things like that but basically you have a map of the world and it's divided up in different sections and at the beginning of the game the, the map is divided among the different competitors and you have a territory in each territory uh you get a certain amount of resources and soldiers or army and you can do war with the other competitors and the tagline for the game is Risk, the game of global domination. And my experience with Risk was playing it as a college student, and uh, it would be a Friday night, and Bible College, and me and some of my nerdy friends sitting around playing Risk while the cool kids were on dates. And so really this should have been called Risk, the game of global domination played by people who are too nerdy to go out on Friday night. And that was my experience with with Risk. And so uh, we, we played this game, and I would get so frustrated because I would— I would have a strategy, I'd build up an army, and then I wouldn't be able to to beat the guy that has the weaker army, and it was so frustrating to me, because part of risk is strategy, but part of it as well is luck. So there's luck in which turn you have, and what cards you draw, and what nations you get, because you can draw for all that kind of stuff, And so there's a strong element of luck involved in this game. And there's also luck because when you attack someone else or when you're defending yourself against someone else, you have to roll the dice. And so the dice dictate everything. So if you just get unlucky with your rolls, you're gonna get beat, you're gonna get crushed. And I would get so frustrated because I would look at my opponents and I'd think, I did a better job of building up my forces, I did a better job of everything, but then luck caused me to lose the game. Because I rolled the dice and I got the wrong number, I lost, I lost an army, I risked something, I had this army that went out, and because I rolled the dice, I lost it. And the truth is, many of us live our lives this way. We are hesitant to take risks because we feel like luck dictates everything. We look at our lives and we say, man, I've been unlucky, if I wasn't so unlucky, I wouldn't have the job I have. Man, that guy, he just got lucky to get the position he's got. He's got that office because he got lucky. Um, Man, if I hadn't chosen the the major that I chose in college, if I would have just taken this career path instead of this career path, all these what ifs, what if I would have done this, what if I would have done that, uh, what if this happens so I can't risk anything moving forward because what if, what if, what if? And the truth is, our lives can be plagued by the question, what if, if we're not careful. And this is what we see in the game of risk. It's a game driven by luck in many ways, and we feel like our lives are left to luck. And when we feel like our lives are left to luck, we feel that life is ultimately just a huge risk. Everything is risky. Relationships are risky. Finances are risky. Jobs are risky. Even our faith seems risky at times. I know many people sitting in this room, some people watching or listening online, you've been hurt in church. Maybe you heard a pastor say something from stage that was harsh, that was Inconsiderate that was direct and it hurt you. Maybe you had an experience with somebody in a small group or a Sunday school class uh, that, that you were deeply hurt by your experience. Maybe you've gone to church before and maybe you got some tattoos or maybe you look a certain way or maybe you come from a certain group and because of that you didn't feel very welcomed in the church you went to. And now as you come back into a place like this, you're, you're going to come, but it feels really risky. It feels like What if they reject me? What if they don't love me? Even with our faith, it's easy to say, man, God's let me down because I've been disappointed, I've been hurt. So what if I try this again and I get hurt all over again? What if, what if, what if? There's a passage in Psalm 37, verse 23 it, the, the King James Version says the steps of the righteous are ordered by God, and you might have heard that before, but I don't want to read it from the New Living Translation. It says this, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. And when we say someone is godly, doesn't that sound like a bit much? <laughs> like... I would resist somebody saying I'm godly because it just feels a little weird, but when we think about this term godly, what we're really talking about is someone who has dedicated their lives to Christ, who's just said, God, my life is yours, that I want what you want for my life, that what you want is more important than what I want, so I'm going to lay down what I want for what you want. If you were here last week, uh, you, you will know this, but like last week and this week's messages very much are companion pieces, they go together, and so I would encourage you if you didn't listen, listen to last week. But a godly person is just simply one who says, God, I want what you want more than what I want. God, I will pursue your purposes for my life and your plans for my life. God, I'll do what you want me to do. You really will be Lord of my life. You are in control. That's what a godly person is. So what we see here, the psalmist says that the Lord directs the steps of those who are godly. The people who put God first in their lives, that he is primary in their lives, he directs their steps. So this is what it's saying to us. This This is the picture it paints for us. When my girls were little, um, now they're not as little anymore. Abby's 17, Emma is 14, uh, and they don't need help with walking anymore, thankfully. Uh, They pretty much can walk on their own now. But when they were babies and they're first learning how to walk, they have these little tiny baby feet. And their legs are like, you know, Michelin man legs. You know, like big just rolls on their legs. You know what I'm talking about. And they don't look like that anymore, so I can talk like this. Uh, But big rolled legs. And their legs, you know, they're like tiny feet. And then they're trying to support these legs. And like babies have these bulbous heads that are gigantic, disproportionate for their body. You know what I'm talking about. Like their hands can't even touch the top of their head. Their heads are so big. And so they've, they've got this body that was not built for walking at all. They're top heavy. Their heads are like, you know. And they start to walk and they're wobbly, right? They're falling all over the place. And a good parent's not going to sit back and go, "I knew you couldn't do it. <laughs> you fell again, you toddler," right? Mocking the child. <laughs> they, they just walk alongside the baby. "I knew you I knew you'd fall again. There it goes. You're never going to get this thing down." What do they do? They come alongside the baby and they support the baby. Um I used to I used to let the girls take my thumbs and so their little chubby fingers would grab my thumbs and I would walk with them and I would support them and I would prevent them from falling what was I doing I was directing their steps I was making their footsteps firm So that they could walk where they needed to walk. And this is a picture of what our Heavenly Father does. Our Heavenly Father, in times when we feel scared and things seem risky and we don't want to take the next step and we're not sure where to go. When we have made God the primary focus of our lives, when he is number one in our lives, this is what happens. He comes alongside us in our weakness, in our frailty, in our insecurity. And he leads us and guides us and makes our footsteps firm. He directs our steps And I love the next part because it says he delights in every detail of their lives. I want you to know something. I want the Steelers to win today. But I don't think God cares if the Steelers win today. So you can pray for it if you want. It's fine. It's not sacrilegious to pray that way. But I don't think God cares. I do think he was delighted that the Patriots released Antonio Brown, though. <laughs> I think he was pretty excited when he saw that. He's reading the news. He's like, oh, Bill Belichick, good job, right? Like, oh, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> I'm just joking, by the way. I don't think God cares who wins the game um, because in the grand scheme of eternity, it's not really that big a deal. But I love this passage because what it says is he, talking about God, delights in every detail of their lives. The people that are godly, the people that put him first, he delights in every detail of their lives. Um, As I mentioned, I've got teenagers, and Emma, my 14-year-old, she will come home from school sometimes, and there are days that I have the conversation with my girls that all parents have. How was your day? Fine. What happened today? Nothing. Nothing good. Anything good happen? No. Anything bad happened? No. All right, I guess we're not talking today, right? Like just one of those moments. And then there's times that, that they'll come home and I, I can't unplug them. Like I, I'm trying to figure out where the off switch is on them, but they just will not stop talking. And so Emma will come home sometimes and she'll, Dad, I've got to tell you what happened. Okay, what happened? And then she will just unload this this 14-year-old, this, you know, eighth-grade drama that's going on at school, and this is what happened, and this person, and this, and what do I need to do? What do you think? <clears throat> and i will got to be honest with you, at some point, I, I don't really care that much. <laughs> I just don't. And so I've got to work to stay engaged in the conversation. I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, why would she do that? That's right. And I'm like, work, man. Like, you know, look her in the eye. Anyway, it's hard because part of I just don't care. It's like, well, just tell them to stop being mean. Like, just tell them to shut up and it'll be fine. Like, I just want to fix it, right? But this is what our heavenly father does. He doesn't just fake it for us. He loves us so much that he really cares. And, and please understand my heart with my daughter. I want to hear those details because I love my daughter so much. I don't really care about the drama, but I care about her. So because I care about her, I want to hear the details. And our Heavenly Father loves us so desperately and so intimately that that every detail of your life that's important to you, it's important to Him. He wants to hear it. He wants you to pray for the Steelers because He loves you so much. And maybe He doesn't care about the Steelers, but He knows you do. So pray for it, because he will hear it, and he loves you so much he wants to. But what this passage is telling us is that the steps of the godly are ordered by God, that he directs them, that he, he loves you so much that he's going to walk alongside you when you feel like your steps are, are, are insecure, when you feel like you're going to fall. He's going to walk with you if you've made him the center of your life. And so what it's saying to us is luck has nothing to do with our walk and our path and where we're heading. That if we have made God the primary focus, there is no luck involved in this. God is directing our path. God is directing our walk. He knows us and he knows where we're at. And so what I want us to look at today is is understanding that there are risks that we take in life, but God wants us to take risks. He wants us to live a life of big faith. So the first thing I'm going to tell you today is this, living a life of risk demands big faith. One of the core values here at Summit Church is big faith. And we say this, we say that our God is a big God and he answers big prayers and I believe he does big things and we will never insult him with safe living or or small, small, yeah, let me back up, small thinking or safe living. So we're never going to say, well, God could do that if he wants to, but I can't do that. I can't step out. I'm not going to take that risk because God calls us to take risks for him. Every time in scripture we see anybody do anything great for God, it is always a big step. It's always a leap of faith for them. It's always them saying, "I don't know how this is going to work out, but I know God's calling me to do it, so let's go." And I think God wants us to live that way. God wants us to believe in him so wholeheartedly that make him such the center of our lives that when he asks us to do something crazy, we might be a little bit afraid, but we're going to go do it. That's what he desires. Not just for me as your pastor, but for all of us. All of us that would say, Jesus is Lord of my life. He's calling us to do big, bold things for his glory. David Lloyd George, he was a British statesman, and he said, don't be afraid to take a big step. You can't cross a chasm in two small jumps. It's impossible, right? Sometimes, in order to get to where we need to be, it requires a big leap of faith. Baby steps won't cause us to get across a gorge. We have to take a leap. And this is what God calls us to do so many times. There's a man I want to talk to you about today, and we can't go through all the details of his life, but I love the picture that we see of his life and the, the picture it paints of faith for us. And we're going to talk about Abraham today. And just so you know, um, Abraham, God changed Abraham, Abraham's name. It was Abram for the scripture we're going to be looking at today, uh, but God changes it to Abraham later uh, to reflect uh the, the, the calling that was on his life, the promise that rested on his life. So we're gonna start in Genesis twelve. So if I say Abram and Abraham, sometimes I'm talking about the same person. In Genesis 12, one, it begins, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from the your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Did you hear that? He said, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How many of you like to go on trips? Vacation, road trips? I do. I enjoy it. I I don't mind doing a four-hour road trip somewhere, but before I go on a trip, I always map it out. I'll pull it up on my phone. I'll look at the different routes. Uh, If I'm on the way and it says, you can save two minutes by taking this. I'm like, yes, we will save two minutes, right? Because two minutes counts. And so we want to get there quicker. And so I will follow the route. I want to know exactly where I'm going, exactly how long it's going to take, because I like to plan it out. This was the opposite of what God did with Abram. God says, hey, Abram, I need you to do something. I need you to go to where I will show you. Okay, where is that? I will show you. It would be helpful if you would Tell me now, right? How am I supposed to plan this out? I said, you don't have to plan it out. Trust me. Well, how, how will I get there? I will show you. How, how long is it going to take? I will show you, right? Do you see a theme here? How much faith does it take for God to say, go, and us to say, all right? I don't even need any details. I'm going. I would love to tell you I would do that, that I would have the Abraham kind of faith to say, yes, Lord but I don't know that I do. But I love the level of faith. He doesn't argue, he doesn't fight, he doesn't push back, he doesn't negotiate. God says go. Take your family, take the people with you, but you're gonna leave behind all your comfort, all the safety, everything you've known, and and I'm gonna take you to a land that I will show you. Did you notice, God doesn't even say it's gonna be good. He doesn't even say, the land's gonna be great, I'm gonna give you a great job, you're gonna make good money, Man, you're gonna have a beautiful house when you get there. What does he say? Go, trust me, I'll take care of this. He does give him a promise, and his promise is this. He says, go, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I want you to know something. God never blesses us or gives us an opportunity so that we will be more comfortable or be more happy and this flies in the face of Western Christianity many times because many people in Western churches think that the purpose for Christianity is to make us comfortable and happy. It is not, by the way. When God blesses us, he is blessing us so that we can be a blessing to others. He's blessing us so that we will be a conduit of his blessing to other people. We are not supposed to be a reservoir of his blessing. We're supposed to be a a, a conduit of his blessing, getting his blessing to the people who need it. So sometimes we wonder why we're not blessed, and it's because if we were, God knows that we would just keep it for ourselves, in lots of different ways, by the way. So we say, God bless us, and God goes, I don't know if I can trust you with blessing. Do you want to know, I truly believe one of the reasons God has blessed our church the way he has is because from day one, we have said uh, the kingdom of God is bigger than our church. The kingdom of God is is more important than Summit Church. We want Summit Church to grow. We want to reach lost people. We want to reach hurting people, but we want every church in our community to grow. So if other churches aren't growing, and we are, that's a net loss for the kingdom. So we want to see the kingdom of God advance, and so we actively invest in other churches and bless other pastors and come alongside other churches, because we say God has blessed us, but he hasn't blessed us just to give us more, make us more comfortable, and make us the big church. Nobody cares about that. What God cares about is us being a blessing to others. So I think God has blessed us because we've chosen to bless others. This is true in your life as well. You want to be blessed? Figure out how you can bless others, how you can help others, how you can serve others. That's what we see Abraham do. This is the promise. He says, every nation on earth, every family on earth will be blessed by you, is what he says. That's a pretty big promise, isn't it? Every family on earth will be blessed through you? What in the world? That's crazy, right? He gets this great promise. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to use you to bless every family on earth. But that promise is contingent on his obedience. Did you notice that? His, the promises for his life are contingent on him being obedient to what God's asked him to do. He says, hey, go to where I'm telling you to go. I will show you the way. And if you do this, then this will happen. And we love the promises of God, but what we don't understand are are God's promises. 99% of the promises God has ever made to us are contingent on our obedience. If you, then I. That's the pattern we see in Scripture. We want to hang on to God's promises, but what we don't want to do is be obedient. Abraham was obedient. Verse 4, it says, so Abraham went as the Lord told him. Abraham went as the Lord told him. He did exactly what the Lord told him to do. Don't you wish your children would obey like that? clean up your room. So Abby went as the Lord obeyed her, right? That's not how it works all the time. Most of the time. Well, no, your room's pretty bad right now. So Abraham went as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. The second thing I would tell you is this, big faith demands obedience. We can't do great things for God. We can't do notable things in the kingdom of heaven if we're not obedient to do what God's called us to do. If we fail to do what God's asked us to do, we cannot see God work in miraculous ways in our lives. One of the other things I want to point out is this. It says Lot went with him. So Abram went as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. Lot was his nephew. We talked about Lot back in the month of June. We did a series called Man Cave. And one of the weeks we talked about Lot and the decisions he made. Um, Lot, ultimately his story did not end well. He, He was disobedient to do he went the other direction from what God wanted him to do, and his family was, was not blessed. His family was cursed because of his decisions. But what I see here is this. Lot wasn't commanded to go with, the Lord, go with Abram. It doesn't record anywhere in Scripture that God spoke to Lot and said, Lot, you need to go. But what we see is there was a level of influence that Abram had in Lot's life, in his nephew's life. And, and Lot said, if you're going, I want to go. If you're doing this, if you're going on a journey, I want to go with you. I want to be a part of that. And what I want you to know is this. Your obedience or disobedience influences the people around you. And your obedience or disobedience impacts the people around you. If you're blessed for being obedient to do something that God's called you to do, there is a residual blessing that rests on those who are along with us on the journey. That maybe they didn't even hear the voice of God speak to them. Maybe they didn't even uh, respond out of obedience. They're just going because they have affection for you. They're a part of this journey because they love you, because you're part of your family, because they're friends, whatever it might be. There's a blessing that rests on them because they're part of the journey. Now, if I can say that, I would say the opposite is true, too. Our disobedience keeps others from God's best. Lot would have never been a part of that journey if Abram would have been disobedient, if Abram would have said, man, that sounds hard, God. I need more details before I step out. I need to do, I need a detailed map. I need you to tell me where I'm going to live. Am I going to have a decent job? Where are my kids going to go to school? I need to know all this, God, before I can make a decision. That wouldn't have just impacted Abram. It would have impacted Lot as well. And the decisions we make to be obedient or disobedient to God's plan for our lives directly impact not only us, but those around us, the people we love as well. I believe my kids are blessed when I'm obedient to God, even if it's a tough decision, even if it's hard. I believe the people around me are blessed when I'm obedient to the Lord. But if I believe that, I have to understand that my disobedience will cause them to miss out on God's best in some ways as well. In James chapter 1, if you're new to church, if you're new to to faith, to God, to the Bible, any of those kind of things, and you're trying to figure out where do I start in the Bible, my favorite book of the Bible is the book of James. I love it because James is hardcore. He's direct, um, very practical. But in James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves be hearers of the word, not doers only, deceiving yourselves. So he said, if you're a doer of the word, you're not deceiving yourself, but if you're hearer only, you're deceiving yourself. So if we come into a place like this, or maybe you're watching online, or you're listening to this podcast, the words that I'm speaking to you, the words of Jesus, the the gospel, it is invading your space, it's going in your ears, your brain is processing it, and there are two typical outcomes. One is, You're going to hear it, and you're going to say, man, this is good. It makes me feel good. I'm encouraged. That's nice. Mel's really funny today, or, man, they played the song I like. And you walk out of here, and nothing has changed other than you felt nice. The other typical outcome is this. Same thing. You hear, and in the midst of this, the Holy Spirit starts to deal with you about something. I mentioned something, and the Holy Spirit goes, yep, that's you. And you go, oh, No gosh, I'm dealing with that. Oh, that's my issue. Oh. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, why don't, why don't you let me help you with that? Why don't you let me take care of that? Why don't you let me deal with that? You know you're holding on to this. You know you're dealing with this. You know you've got this weakness, this, right? And, and you walk out and yes, you might feel good and encouraged, but you're going, what do I need to do? How do I apply this? What does this need to look at my, like in my life on Monday when I go to work, when I go to class? What does this need to look like? How do I apply this to my life? And the difference is what we do with it. So what James says is be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. So if we do something with the word, we're making the gospel active in our lives. We're taking the gospel and saying, how is this fleshed out in my life? How do I not make my, my, the gospel relevant for my life, but how do I make my life relevant for the gospel? How do I conform my life to make it look more like Jesus? How do I shift things? And how do I let the gospel um, just invade me. What what does that look like? And the hearer of the word goes, that was nice. That was funny, that was good. And he says the difference is obedience. One is obedient to do what the word of God says, one is not. And he even illustrates it a little further down in James chapter one. What he says is this, the person who hears only, he deceives himself. He's like a person who looks in the mirror and forgets what he looks like and walks away. So imagine this morning you woke up, you got out of bed, And some of you just got out of bed a little bit ago. That's why we got the 11 o'clock service. It's made for you. So you get out of bed, you you go, you stumble in, kind of dreary-eyed, you look in the mirror and you're like, oh my gosh, like, dear Lord, what happened overnight? Like, was I beaten overnight? How am I so puffy, right, you know? I got hair growing out of places and it's like, what in the world is going on here? You're like, I gotta fix this, right? I can't go in public looking like this. And we live in a small town. I know there's a lot of you that are like, um, you had the moment where you're like, I need to put on makeup before I go to Walmart. And you're like, ah, I'm not going to see anybody I know. And you know you're going to see somebody you know, right? And this is what happens. This is the way James illustrates it. He says, we look in the mirror and we see ourselves, but then we forget what we look like. So it's like if this morning you'd have looked in the mirror and you like, oh my gosh, I need to fix this before I go to church. And then you turned around and you're like, you know what, I look fantastic. And you walked away. I'm like, Boo-doo-doo. And you walk into church, and we love you, and we're going to be nice to you. But we also love you enough to go, hey, maybe you need a brush, right? <laughs> Let me help you with that, because we would recognize it, and we would go, hey, did you did you look at yourself in the mirror? And you're like, yeah, don't I look fantastic? Be like, mm, uh, yes, you do, yeah. We're believing by faith. You look great, right? See, we would see the reality, but. But the person who is a, a hearer only—they're deceiving themselves. They think when they walk away, they look fantastic, even though their hair's a mess, even though they're puffy, even though right—all the stuff. And this is what we do spiritually: we, we come into a service like this, we hear the word of God, and and we go, ooh man, there's some areas, ooh, and we walk out and go, not look fantastic. I went to church, I'm good. I heard the word, I'm good. But there's no application. There's no. There's no revelation of truth in our lives so we don't apply it we don't be we're not obedient to what god's asking us to do and as a result we are fooling ourselves in james 2 james says that without faith without works are dead so what he's saying is faith with the absence of obedience is dead so if we hear the word of god but don't do anything with it it's not active in our lives then it is no good all we're doing is showing up to church and seeing how entertaining the pastor is or seeing if they played the song we liked We might feel a little better about it, but it is not transformational in our lives. Because music is not transformational. My preaching is not transformational. The gospel is transformational. So what we see is, Abraham was obedient. Even when it was hard. Even when it was difficult. Even when it didn't make sense. Go to the land I will show you. Okay, let's go. And he goes. Because... Big faith demands obedience. What we see is situations like this, we tend to think that these people are superheroes, that they're like caricatures, and they're like, well, yeah, Abram could do that. I couldn't do that in my life. But Abram was a normal guy. He was a regular guy. He dealt with the same things we deal with. Uh, And if you don't believe me, in Genesis chapter 12, literally chronologically, it was not that long after he received the promise. You remember the promise? I'm gonna make your name great. I will bless the whole world through you if you'll just go where I tell you, and he goes, so he receives that promise, chronologically, probably a year later, he and his family show up uh, to Egypt, and his wife is beautiful, and he knows, uh, or he feels like these people are savages, and if I go in here, they're going to kill my wife, or kill me, and take my wife, because she's beautiful, so he shows up, and he, he's afraid, and they say, hey, nice to meet you, who, who is this, this must be your wife, and he's like, this isn't my wife, I've, I, yeah, this is not my wife at all, I mean, She's gorgeous, but she's not my wife. She's my, my sister. She's my sister. So it's okay if she comes into the king's court and she can be engaged to the king. Sure, no problem. She can be engaged to the king. She, yeah, yeah, she's my sister. Why would, I, why would I have a problem with that? I mean, it's great. Great news. Great news, right? Now, I'm taking some liberty with this, but this is what happened. And the reason this happened is because Abraham, even though he had a promise from the Lord, a promise that was going to be fulfilled through his wife, was afraid. And Abraham was willing to relinquish God's promise for his life because he was afraid. Less than a year later, he was willing to let go of the promises of God, the promise that had uprooted him from where he was, brought him to where he was today, and he was willing to let that go because he was afraid. That sounds like a regular human being to me. That sounds like something I would do. Sounds like something any of us would do. And here he is. Now, thankfully, that's not how it worked out. The Holy Spirit spoke to this man and he he was revealed the truth to him, and they were able to leave. But Abraham was willing to forfeit God's blessing and promise for his life because he was afraid. That sounds like us. Isaac, Abraham's son, was born eventually in Genesis chapter 21. And then in Genesis chapter 22, this incredible story happens where God says, hey, Abraham, I need you to offer sacrifice. And Abraham goes, great, I'll do that. You're a good God. Let's go. And he says, take your son with you. And by, your way, by the way, your son will be the sacrifice. And this is where it was like a record scratch, like like, what? What happened now? And he said, yeah, you're going to sacrifice your son. And just before you criticize God as being sadistic or evil or anything like that, I want you to understand just a little bit of God's heart. What God was really trying to do is say, hey, do you love the promise that I've given you more than you love me? Because some of us love the promises of God more than we love God. And what God was saying is, are you willing to lay down my promise if I ask you to? Are you willing to lay down the thing I've given you, the gift I've given you, if I ask you to? Do you love your son more than you love me? And for some of us, we have to ask ourselves the same question. Do I love the promise of God or do I love God? And we see in this moment, God provided for him. God provided a ram and they took the ram and he sacrificed it instead. And what we see is a test. God wasn't testing him because God was trying to figure it out. God was testing him because he wanted Abraham to see, no, 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 my affection is for God. I love God more than I love the promise of God in my life so that's what we see, and I'm not going to read the story to you, but I want to read from Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, this is from the Hall of Fame of Faith, and it's talking about Abraham, and it says this in verse 17, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life, and in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. What? What? This doesn't even make sense, does it? Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son because his faith in God was so unrelenting that he knew that if my son's life is taken, God is good enough and big enough he can raise him from the dead if he wants to. That is a radical level of obedience. How do you get that obedience? It's by trusting in God so deeply. He trusted in God so deeply. His faith was so big in God that he knew if if he asked me to take my son, he can raise him back from the dead. God's going to fulfill his promise for me one way or the other. He is not backing out at this point. And what I'm telling you today is our God is so good, he can be trusted with big faith. We can trust him in big ways, with our biggest promises, with our biggest dreams, with our biggest hopes, because he is good. If he has given it to us, if he has birthed it in our lives, he's not going to ask us to kill it because that's not how he acts. If he asks us to kill it, he's going to raise it from the dead. He's going to do something to see that promise fulfilled. This is how our God is. Now listen, big faith doesn't mean that we never have fear or doubt, okay? What we see in Abraham's story is there was lots of fear and doubt. God, are you sure? God, I'm afraid. God, there's risk involved. What if I, what if, what if, what if, what if? So understand that big faith doesn't mean we never fear a doubt. What it means is no matter how big our fear or doubt are, that we rest in the fact that God can be tr- can trusted. He can be trusted that he's in control, that he's good. And when we rest in that place where we say, God, you can be trusted no matter what's going on in my life, it makes it easier for us to be obedient in difficult circumstances. Abraham was at this place in Genesis 15. This is before he'd received the promise of his son. In Genesis 15, he was ab- about 80, 90 years old, um, 85 maybe. Um, and it says this It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, and God said, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So what he's saying is, I'm reminding you, your reward shall be great. But Abram said, Oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer in Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven, the number of the stars, or and number of the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So they had this moment where he has a vision. He says, uh, God says, you will be blessed. And Abram says, okay, let's be honest, God. It's been five, six, eight years, and I don't feel blessed. I was 75 when you told me you were going to bless me, and when you told me to go. And I went, and I still don't have kids, God, and I'm not getting any younger. How many of you know 75 is a bad time to start family planning? <laughs> right? He said, God, uh, I'm in my 80s now and you promised, did you forget what you promised? I mean, I've been waiting a while and I assumed that your promise would come pretty quickly because I'm old and my wife is old. So God, did you forget about your promise? God, are, are you still good? Can I still trust you? Because this seemed risky. We left everything and here we are. are. Are you sure we can trust you in this? Have you forgotten? And God, God, in his goodness and in his benevolence and his kindness and his mercy toward Abram and what we see this is his character he didn't say who do you think you are questioning me I'm the God of the universe he doesn't say why don't you shut up and just do what I'm telling you to do I love God's response he said Abram Abram go outside so Abram steps out of his tent and God says look up Abram looks up at the sky at the night sky And he sees the billions of stars in the night sky. And he says, if you can number those stars, that's how numerous your offspring will be. He didn't say, just trust me. He said, I want to show you. I want to show you my faithfulness. Because first he looks at the sky and he sees the countless stars in the sky. The innumerable stars in the sky. And he says, this is how many offspring you're going to have. This is what it will be like to try to number your offspring. And what he's saying is, I'm the same God who created this beautiful skyscape that you're looking at. The same God that hung these stars in the sky, me, I'm the same guy that will fulfill my promise for you. And I'm not just going to fulfill it in a little way. Your offspring, your heirs, your children will be more numerous than the stars in the sky if you could even count them. But you can't. That's how good our God is. That's how our God is. He asks us to trust him. He asks us to be obedient. But the third thing I'm gonna tell you today is this. Big faith demands patience. God's timing is very different than our timing. God is a God who will say at 75, hey, Abram, I'm gonna bless you with a family because God doesn't care about our timetables. See, at 75, a lot of people are starting to think about uh, how to to finish out their last season of life. Like, hey, we want to move to Florida or Arizona, or I want to take it easy, I want to spend time with the grandkids, I don't want to work, I don't want to be tied down. Most of us are thinking about how our story will end, but Abraham's story was just beginning. The first chapter of his story is when he's 75 years old. If you're here today and maybe you're in your 60s or 70s or 80s or 90s and you feel like uh, the best part of your story is behind you, I'm telling you today, maybe the best part of your story is just beginning. Maybe God is just getting started with your story and what he wants to do in your life. It is never too late to be obedient to do what God's called you to do. Abram was just getting started. He was 75 when he received the promise He wouldn't receive the full promise for 25 years. So at 75, he hears, you're going to have a baby, but I'll tell you when, basically. I'm going to bless the world through your offspring. He's waiting and waiting and waiting. At 100 is when he had Isaac. By the way, he didn't have Isaac. His wife had Isaac. But, you know, (laughs) men we take credit for it. Like, yes, we're pregnant. It's mostly her, but, you know, me too. I got to eat with her, so. It was 100 When they had their first child, do you think when Abraham was holding his baby boy in his arms, do you think he was mad at God because it didn't happen sooner? Do you think he was angry with God because it should have been two years instead of 25 years? Or do you think maybe he was holding that baby and he was so excited that the promise of God was fulfilled in his life? He was so excited about the potential that rested in this promise that he had been given. I want you to know today, God's timing is radically different than our timing. God's timing is dramatically different. And it might take a while for you to receive the promise that he's promised you, but it's worth it. When you're walking in the midst of that promise, you're not going to say, well, God, this shouldn't have taken so long. You're going to be so excited to be experiencing that promise that you're going to say, God, you are good. Thank you. It doesn't make it any easier in that meantime. In that 25 years between the promise being directed and the promise being received, that's a big gap. And if you're here today, maybe you got a promise a long time ago. And you've been waiting to see that promise fulfilled. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're a little bit like Abraham going, God, did you forget? God, do you remember what you said? Do you remember that you told me this? Was I, was that, I just tricking myself? Was that Was that the enemy speaking to me? Because God... You promised me. And I think God wants to show you the stars. He wants to remind you how good he is. He wants to remind you how faithful he is. He wants to remind you that big faith demands patience. It takes some time. That his timing looks different than our timing. He demands obedience, but he demands patience as well. In the game risk, you can never win if you don't take a chance. If you never take a chance, then you're never going to win. If you don't risk losing everything, You can never succeed. And I would tell you the same is true in our own lives. If we never risk anything, if we never take a big step, if we never risk losing at all, we'll never win. We'll never fulfill anything good for the glory of God. We'll never do what he's called us to do. We'll never accomplish big things if we don't have big faith, if we don't risk at all. But in our life, there is no risk because if we're doing what God has called us to do, Jesus is in control. He's walking with us. He's holding our hands. He's directing our path. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says this. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. This this verse is for us today. If God's calling you to do something big, don't try to figure it out in yourself. Just say, God, yes, you're telling me to go, I'm going. I will obey as you have directed. Whatever you ask me to do, whenever you ask me to do it, however you ask me to do it, I'm going to do it, God. When we do that and we trust him and say, it's up to you to figure this out. God, you are the one who's in control. I'm going to acknowledge you and make sure you are the one who gets the glory for this. It says he will make your path straight. He will walk with you. He will guide you. He will direct you. There is no luck involved in this thing. If we trust God and are obedient to do what he's asked us to do and we're patient with his process, he will work this out for his glory. There's a a quote, William G.T. Shedd, he was a Presbyterian minister, um, theologian, author. Uh, He said this, he said, a ship in harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. So many of us feel like, as Christians, we are built just to be safe, just to make it through life, to escape this world and make it to heaven. But I'm telling you, you were not made just to get to heaven. You were made for so much more. God has made you to do great things for his glory. He is inviting you into his plan. He's asking you to take a bold step. He's asking you to hear his voice and respond to what he's asking you to do. If God has spoken something to you through his word or maybe into your heart, maybe you feel like God has spoken to you. The question should never be, what if? Well, what if God doesn't? What if it doesn't work out? What if I fail? What if it's challenging? The question should always be, why not? Why couldn't I do that? When God says, go where I will show you, well, why shouldn't I do that? I know I can trust God. So if God's asking me to do it, I'm gonna do it. Stop asking what if and start saying, why not? Why not? Why not me? Why not now? Why not in Indiana, Pennsylvania? I believe that God is speaking to some people in this place. I believe there are people here that maybe God has spoken to you about quitting your job and starting a new career. Maybe God's speaking to you about laying your life down and moving halfway around the world to become a missionary. Maybe God's speaking to you to take a risk and walk across the street and share your faith with your neighbor. Maybe God's speaking to you to, to give generously to somebody that you see that's in need, but you see all the risks and why, what I'm telling you today is stop asking what if and start asking why not. Why can't I be used by God? Why can't I be a blessing? Why can't I be part of God's big plan and risk it all for his glory? That's what he wants for us, not from us. He wants it for us to be a part of that. And our obedience impacts the people around us. So I wanna encourage you today. Listen to the voice of God. God, what are you speaking to me today? And God, how can I be obedient to you today? That's what I want you to do. Before you do that, though, some of you need to be obedient just to respond to his call to relationship. Because maybe you're here today and you've never walked in relationship with God. Maybe you're religious. Maybe you've been a hearer of the word, but you've never been a doer of the word. And today you're saying, I'm going to be obedient to make Jesus Lord of my life. I'm going to to become the godly person that you described. I'm going to make him the primary focus of my life. And if that's you, I want to give you that opportunity. And we're going to pray together in just a moment. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over this room. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that you're here with us. Thank you that you are a good father, that as we walk along our path is un unstable as it may seem and as scary as it may seem and as risky as it is, Lord, I thank you that the godly, the steps of the righteous are ordered by God, that the steps of the godly person that you make firm. So God, I thank you that you're a good father, that you come alongside us and you make sure that our steps are stable when we put you first. So God, I pray for those that are here today that, that considers themselves Christians, that they believe they're going to heaven, but they recognize today that there are some things that maybe they're not taking risks in. God, I pray that today would be the day they would hear your voice, they would respond to you with radical obedience with whatever you're saying, and God, I pray that you'd help us be patient with your plan. The Lord, I, the people in this room would begin to dream bold dreams and begin to believe in big ways that you want to work in our lives, that you want to work through the people here, the people that are watching online, to minister to this community, to change Indiana and Indiana County and Western Pennsylvania for your glory. So God, I pray we would not be satisfied just going to heaven. We would not be satisfied just getting by. But God, give us the desire to be used for your glory in amazing ways. I pray for those that are here today that aren't in relationship with you, that maybe they were hearers of the word, but that was it. They were the people that forgot what they looked like, that they just feel good about the message, but God, let today be the day that everything shifts in them, that you become the centerpiece of their life, that everything else revolves around you, that you really become Lord. So God, I pray you'd help our hearts be submitted fully to you. I pray for those that have not taken that step yet. Let today be the day they trust you with everything. They understand that that trusting you really is not a risk at all. So you gotta let today be that day. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed and nobody's looking around, I just wanna ask, if that's you and you say to me, Mel, you know what? I've been a hearer of the word, but I'm not a doer of the word. I'm somebody who, I know all the answers religiously, but the truth is I'm not walking with Christ and I need to make him Lord. I need to become that godly person you were talking about where where Jesus is the center of it all. And it feels risky, but I, I trust God. I wanna put my faith in him today. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward. I just want to pray with you. So if that's you, would you be bold enough to put your hand up real high where I can see it and say, Mel, that's me. Pray for me. Yeah, thank you. In the back of the room. Yeah, thank you. A couple of hands on my left. Thank you. I see you in the back on my left. Praise God. Yeah, I saw you up in the balcony. Thank you on my right. Thank you, ma'am. Praise the Lord. Who else would say "That's me? Pray for me, Mel. I'm all in. Yeah, thank you up in the balcony. I see you. Praise God. Thank you. I see you up in the balcony. Praise the Lord Just a few more seconds. Anyone else want to join these and say yes to Jesus? You have my heart today. Yeah, thank you, sir. I see you in the back on my left. Praise the Lord. I want every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Pray this boldly. Pray this out loud. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving your son to pay the price for my sins. From now on, I am yours. Use my life for your glory. I will be obedient to do whatever. Whenever. And however you want. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for helping me be a blessing to this world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today, can't we? Awesome. Awesome. It never, ever, ever gets old to me seeing people respond. I want you to know, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, the word of God tells us you your new creation. The word of God tells us if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, you shall be saved. So I want you to know something. I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. This is why we exist, It's to see you connected to Christ and growing in your faith. That's why we're here. We're not just here to have service, to have church on the weekend. We want to see you transformed. So if you made that decision today, I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. We can't, we can't wait to see what God's going to do in your life. If you're watching online, you responded today. I just want you to know how proud we are of you. If you prayed that prayer with us today, uh, no matter where you're at, the Holy Spirit's with you in that room today and responding to you. We wanna help you take the next step. So if you prayed that prayer today, you can text the word salvation to the number 555 and we're gonna respond back to you. We're gonna help you take the next step. No matter where you are in the United States or even the world, we're gonna help you find a life-giving church in your area that you can connect with. So please text us. Let us know you made that decision. We wanna help you take the next step. If you're here in the room and you prayed that prayer, take the card out of the seat back in front of you. On one side of the card, it says need prayer. and the other side, it says salvation. Fill out the side of the card that says "salvation." and we're done here in just a minute, take it over to the information center, give it to them and let them know about this. And they're gonna give you a Bible and uh, you're gonna get a letter from me or an email in the next few days that uh, help you take the next step. I'll give you some resources. We'll tell you what you need to do. Uh, but we're so excited for you taking this step in your journey. We're so excited that we get to be a part of it. Here's what's going to happen right now. The worship team's going to lead us in one final song. We're going to sing to our good God together. And while we're worshiping, our prayer team's going to come up, and they'll be on either side of the stage. They'll be by the pillars. And if you need prayer for any reason at all today, no matter what it may be, please step out and find one of them as we begin to sing this final song. And I want to encourage you as well, if you're here today, and maybe you're struggling to hear the voice of God in in your life you're saying but mel what does that look like uh man i want to be obedient but i don't know how to hear the voice of god i want to encourage you in two things start praying more regularly and start reading your bible more regularly that's how you can begin to hear the voice of god but come forward and let what our prayer team pray with you and agree with you because i believe they can help you hear from the lord as well and then in just a moment we're done singing we're done praying Uh, Steph McCoy is our missions and outreach pastor. There she is. Uh, She's going to come up and she'll close us out and dismiss us. And she wants to, I want to show a quick video about a two minute video somebody in our church uh, that has, God has just worked in incredible ways. You don't want to miss that. So please don't leave unless you've got an emergency. Uh, So stay on your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go today, guys. What a great day it's been. I love seeing people respond to Christ. So thank you so much. I tell you guys often, I hope you know it, I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor and I love you more than you know. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day.